when you talk to your doctor about your health, you walk into the office, and a lot of times there's two basic lifestyle changes that doctors will often recommend to improve your health if it's not in a great place. So whether you're having trouble with your weight or weakness or being tired and fatigued or whether you have high blood pressure or just low energy, um, they're likely to always recommend um, two basic changes. And so what do you think those two basic changes are that they might recommend? Exercise. Exercise and diet, yes. Two basic changes. And it sounds, you know, they are basic, um, but yet they can be super hard to do. Like, how do I change these two things? I've been eating this for 20 years. Or I've been, you know, exercising or not exercising this way for 20 years or whatever. How do we change um, those sorts of habits? And if you want to be healthy, a doctor is telling you, you need to be putting the right things in your body and you need to be doing the right things with your body. And this evening we're continuing our series called Beginning the Journey Home, the book of Genesis. And we talked right at the beginning of it, home is a place where we feel safe, where we feel loved, where we feel accepted, like, uh, and like we belong and like we're protected and taken care of. And our home, according to Genesis, is with God. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world um, to be a home for humanity. And his intention was, I'm going to dwell with you. This is going to be our home together. And we're supposed to be with him um, our whole lives, living under his protection and care and guidance. And he made us for a loving relationship with him. But all that gets disrupted in Genesis 3 when the serpent, which is a creature in rebellion against God, comes to Adam and Eve, the first humans, and he gets them to believe lies about God. He gets them to believe, you know, he doesn't really have your best interests in mind. You know what, you could probably do better on your own if you uh, were doing it your own way. Or you, he's holding out on you. You really shouldn't be following this guy. And once he gets them to believe those lies about him, about God, they start believing, well, God doesn't sound that good. And disobedience is sounding like not that bad of a thing. Um, how about we split ways with this? Once they believe those lies, they reject um, his authority over them as their God, their creator, um, their father, and their king. And then Genesis 4 through 11 showed us the devastating effects of this as um, this just keeps rippling through human history um, and ruining humanity and our world. And so now we live as exiles from home. Our home is supposed to be with God, but with our rejection of his authority, we left home. Um, we could no longer be at home with him. And so as long as we're believing lies about God, we'll never be able to return home to be with God. And Genesis 1 through 11 was a zoomed out view of how everything's supposed to be and why everything isn't the way it's supposed to be. Before we headed into Genesis 12, we paused and we were remembering, what did those chapters teach us? Because in 12 through 50 of Genesis, we're getting introduced to this cast of characters. We're getting zoomed in on people's real lives um, and seeing what they're going through. And sometimes they trust God, sometimes they doubt God, and sometimes they make horrible decisions that have painful effects, and sometimes they're making really good decisions that bless others. And if we're honest, um, when we see these characters, they look a lot like us. Because we're kind of this bag, mixed bag of you know, sometimes I'm really trusting God, sometimes I'm really doubting. Sometimes I really feel like, man, I'm just running on all cylinders, making great decisions, you know, loving my kids, loving my spouse, loving my neighbors, loving my coworkers. And other times we're like, man, I just feel like I blew it today. And so our lives look a lot like theirs. But we said when we, right before we went to Genesis 12 that if we didn't have Genesis 1 through 11, we would be like doctors who never went to medical school. We'd have patient after patient coming to our office, giving us their list of symptoms, and we would have no idea how to help them because we would have no idea what is the root cause 
of all these symptoms. We would have no idea um, how to treat them and help them with their ailments. And we wouldn't be able to offer them anything of lasting change. Maybe we could put a Band-Aid over things or be like, okay, take some you know, Advil um, or some Tylenol and like, that's going to help you with the pain. But they would still, the pain would come back because we wouldn't know what's causing it. And so we'd have a bunch of people walk into their office that looked like this dead plant. Here come, the plants are back, if you remember the plants. Um, we'd have a bunch of people looking like this dead plant saying like, you know, my leaves are feeling a little crunchy. Or I guess this one doesn't have leaves. My stem is feeling a little crunchy, and I'm feeling a little bald. Um, but this one's probably gotten a little more... Well, actually, I don't know if it could die anymore since it was last year. But this one has gotten bigger. I So much so I had to have these, uh, put these on it so it wasn't falling over. Um, but people would be coming in our office looking like this, and we'd have no idea how to get them to look like this. How do we get them from this deadness and this witheringness to being alive and flourishing? We'd have no idea how to bring some life and health into somebody's life. And we're co coming back to all that because today we're concluding the life of Abraham. And Abraham is the most famous character in the whole Bible uh, next to Jesus. You talk, everyone's talking about Abraham in the Bible. And he's known as a man of extraordinary faith, a man who has this deep trust in God. But we saw over these several weeks that he doesn't always trust God. Um, he, did, and he made foolish choices sometimes, putting his wife uh, in danger and doing and bringing plagues and other things upon other people. Um, and so he, he had times when he doubted, times when he made foolish choices. And sometimes he looked like this dead plant when his faith is weak, um, he's kind of withering, and he's wilting. It seems like he's just kind of trudging along, not even thinking about God. God's the furthest from his thoughts, not thinking about loving other people. And other times he looks alive, walking by faith, um, being a blessing to other people, um, leading his family, um, and being totally aware of God's care and protection of him and obeying him no matter what. And we see Abraham on both ends of the spectrum here and, and everywhere in between. And in many ways, watching Abraham's life is like looking in a mirror of our own life where we see like, man, sometimes I'm feeling over here. My faith is feeling dead and withery. Sometimes we're over here and we're like, I'm feeling alive. Sometimes we're somewhere in between where we're like, man, part of this day I was feeling great. At the end of the day, I was feeling kind of poor. And we can see, looking at Abraham, um, that he was a man in process, just like we are, where God takes us and he has us in process. And we're all learning, just like Abraham, to surrender all of life to God in any and every circumstance. And when we covered chapter 22 last week, um, that was like the climax of Abraham's life. It's like we saw him in Genesis 12. God calls him to leave home and country. Um, and in between, there's all kinds of stuff. And then Genesis 22, we see, man, Abraham, he, he has this test he goes to put Isaac on the altar, put all the promises of God, all the good gifts of God on the altar, and will he do this? And that was his test so that God could see, do you fear me? Is your faith like matured and complete? And at the end of his life, we see he's this alive plant here. And as things are uh, winding down here, Abraham's getting his affairs in order because his life is about to end and he sees it. And we read um, these two chapters that were, uh, well, three chapters. We're not going to really focus on the very last one. Um, the first one we read, Nick read that, chapter 23, it's the burial of Sarah. And chapter 25, the first half of it is the burial of Abraham. Um, and so this is the end of Abraham's life, Abraham and Sarah's life. And in the middle is where we're going to focus um, where there's this story um, of Abraham's servant. Um, and it's like, well, Abraham doesn't really seem to be in the picture. He's in there at the beginning, and then he's not in it. But it's kind of like the servant's words and his actions 
express like this testimony of what he's seen um, is true of God based on Abraham's life. Like he's been with Abraham a while. It's his most trusted servant. And so he's seen, oh, this is how Abraham interacts with his God. And this is how his God is interacting with him. And that's kind of been contagious. And so as the servant is going on this mission Abraham gives him, um, you can see him giving testimony to this is what Abraham's God is like. And I'm trusting in him too and following him. And we may ask, well, how has Abraham come to this place of total surrender and mature faith um, that he has at the end of his life? So the big question this passage answers is, what do God's servants need to believe about him? What do God's servants need to believe about him? And this guy is getting sent out as a servant. And Abraham has been living his life, at least the last half of it, as a servant of God. And so what do... God's servants need to believe about him. If we're going to be able to serve God, what do we need to believe about him? We're going to focus on chapter 24. Chapter 23, as Nick read for us, is burial of Sarah. Chapter 25 is burial of Abraham, and I'll let you read the burial of Abraham if you want to at some point. Um, But just to recap the part of the story we already read, um, Abraham wants to find a wife for his son um, among his own people. But back in Genesis 12, Abraham left his people. It's been like 100 years or almost 100 years since he left his own people back in Haran. Um, and, and now he doesn't know anybody there. And so he calls his trusted servant. He's like, okay, Isaac needs um, a wife. And I want her to be from my own people. And so he has his servant put his hand under his thigh, which is kind of like this intimate and serious handshake, like the most, you know, one of the most serious things you can make people take an oath by. And he wants his servant to swear that he's going to go to Haran and find a wife for Isaac. And the servant kind of recognizes, maybe he's thinking, yeah, it's been a hundred years since you were there. Uh, who knows if they're even there? Who knows if I'll even find them? Might feel like kind of trying to find a needle in a haystack. And so he's like, well, okay, well, what should I do if the woman isn't willing to come back to me? Suppose I find one. Why are they going to be willing to leave their family in their country to come over here to marry some guy they don't even know at all? And in those days, there's more like, in, in that culture, it's more of an arranged marriage. So probably would have been not necessarily like they've been dating for a while but still like you know is there is this like a scam you could kind of sound like a scam like i'm gonna go over there okay dude i guess maybe i'll come with you but he's like what if she says no uh abraham (laughs) says well under no circumstances this is the place that god said i'm giving this to your kids and so you cannot bring isaac anywhere else besides you can't bring him to where i came from i left that place And so then he tells the servant that God's going to send this angel before you um, to aid you. God's going to work with you in this. The servant gets ready, sets out to complete his assignment. Um, And then he's feeling, as he's arriving, he's feeling how difficult this is going to be. And so when he arrives in Abraham's home country, uh, he prays for help from Abraham's God. He says, Oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Then he designs this little test to ensure, okay, have I found the right woman? Because he doesn't, you know, what's he going to do? Like look for character traits? And you're looking the phone book? There's, you know, how's he going to find Abraham's family? He's like, okay, there's people around here. Uh, they have to come water the camels. I'm going to hang out by the well. And God, please let the one who comes and will, is willing to give water to me be the, the woman that I'm supposed to return with to marry Isaac. And so he stands there and waits. But he doesn't have to wait long. Even before he finishes praying, we're face-to-face with Rebecca. Rebecca does exactly as he had prayed, 
And then he learns she's actually one of Abraham's family. And so it's like, okay, she did that thing. Like, okay, what are the chances? Whoa, she's part of Abraham's family. We just heard about Abraham's family back in 22. Uh, the very first part that Nick read, remember somebody comes passing by and they give Abraham news like, hey, Nahor, your brother, um, he's had a couple sons and those sons have had sons. And then there's a little parenthetical note, now Bethuel fathered Rebekah. And so Abraham knows, I've got this family out there. The servant knows this family's out there. And now the servant's like, the first person I meet is from this family I just heard about. And so he kind of freaks out. Uh, he falls on his face and worships the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who's not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. And upon learning he's a servant of one of her kinsmen, she runs and reports to her family. And so then we'll continue the story. That's what we read already. Let's continue the story in verse 29. The servant is welcomed into their home. That's chapter 24, verse 29. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Remember that name for a couple chapters from now. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. And as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in. O oh, blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. And so the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fire to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. And then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And so Laban said, speak on. And so the servant tell, re, you know, basically retells everything we already know about. I'm starting in verse 34 through 49. So you know, just imagine this, like he just had this amazing thing, like what are the chances, you know, we say that sometimes, like what are the chances of this happening? And so he's like just bursting with needing to tell them. So verse 34 says, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he's given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house, and then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. Verse 42, I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw from your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed to my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I'll give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And so I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may return to the right hand 
or to the left. So he gives fills them all in on the backstory. They're probably like, whoa. All right, cool. Um, but the servant, he worshiped God right in front of Rebecca um, for, his, for God's steadfast love and faithfulness to Abraham. And now it doesn't stop. He just keeps on going. Rebecca's family now hears the whole story from beginning to end. And he's testifying, look, this is how I've seen God work, how he led me here. Look at all the stuff he's done in Abraham's life. And look, he's continuing to do it now up to this very point. And he's just worshiping God for his steadfast love and faithfulness. And is, by doing so, it's calling them, like, like Let's, this is crazy. Like, worship God with me. Then Laban and Bethuel's response shows their assessment, but they also want, don't want Rebekah to leave quite yet. So uh, verse 50 says, Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. And they said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they went away, Rebekah their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And so Rebekah, you can see, is going to fit right in with Abraham's family because in faith she's willing to leave her country and her family for a place she doesn't even know yet, just like Abraham did that before to follow God's will. And so they're seeing this is God's will. That's what Laban and Bethuel say. And they ask her, will you go? And she's like, I'll go. I'm going to follow God's will on this. So verse 62 brings us from the city of Nahor, where they're at in Mesopotamia, back to the land of Canaan. It says, Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahairoi and was dwelling in the Negev, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there are camels coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. She, so she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Returning to our big question that this passage answers, what do God's servants need to believe about him? And I want to pass out uh, this little slip of paper. I don't know about what chapter it was. I think it was around chapter 17 or 18. I just started realizing, wow, there's like a lot of different names that the book of Genesis uses for God. Um, like in the mouths of the people in this book. And so this is just all the truths about God um, with the verse reference um, that occur, uh, or at least the ones I found, I might have missed some, um, that occur during the life of Abraham. And either these are either spoken um, by God himself or they're spoken by Abraham, calling, you know, realizing this is what God is like, or they're maybe spoken by um, 
somebody else who's seeing it in Abraham's life, or sometimes they're spoken to other people, other people realize it. And so these are all the truths about God um, that Abraham has come to realize. And God asked Abraham um, to be a servant for his purposes. And God says, I want to bless the world through you and through your family. God wants to use Abraham to bring others home. Ever since Genesis 3, the reality is curse. And he says, I want to bring blessing back to the world by using you um, to bring others to know me. And over the course of his life, Abraham matures as a servant as he believes the truth about who God is. He goes from this dead plant um, with a little faith to this living plant. And as he believes more truth about God, he loves God more and he trusts God more and he fears God more and he obeys God more and he surrenders more and more of his life to God. And so I just found it interesting, like as you go through, like it, Abraham, as he's walking with God, because, um, you know, he just gets called out of this place, Haran, to go and do this thing with God. And I don't think he knew much about him before then, because later in the Bible, he's called a, a pagan, which means he wasn't worshiping God. He was worshiping um, other gods, other idols. And so when he gets called, he doesn't know much about him. And, and through his life, he learns more and more about who God is and, and what he does for him. And the last four on this list uh, are ones that come out of this chapter. Uh, Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. That's what he calls him when he's sending his servant. And the God who guides him, he says, he's going to send an angel with you. He knows God's going to guide him. Um, God who shows him steadfast love and faithfulness. That's what the servant says um, that God's been showing to Abraham. And then the servant also says God has blessed him um, immensely. And the most repeated attributes um, in this chapter um, and perhaps the whole Bible I don't really know how you could measure it or how to, I mean I'm sure you could but I don't know how to do it quickly um, love and faithfulness are two attributes that are given to God um, very frequently in the Old Testament and the servant he asks God to not forsake his steadfast love and faithfulness to Abraham. And if you look through the Old Testament, you'll just find these over and over again all over the place. When God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 34, he tells him, I'm a God abounding in steadfast love. Steadfast love occurs all over the place. And it's this really powerful Hebrew um, word that's really hard <coughs> to translate. But for followers God, of God in the Old Testament, God's steadfast love is one of the most precious truths about him um, that they're holding on to all the time. It gets repeated all over in the Psalms. And it's steadfast love. Think about something that's steadfast. It's, it's reliable. It's committed. It's not going to go away. It's not going to leave you. It's not going to forsake you. It can be relied upon. You know, if you have a steadfast chair, you feel okay about sitting on it. If you have a steadfast car, you feel okay about driving it um, a long distance or whatever. Um, if you have a steadfast person in your life, you know you can rely on them. You know they're going to come through for you. And that's what this word um, holds for, should hold for us and what it held for the Israelites. It's God's reliable, devoted, committed love. And it's this love that motivates them to come through in times of trouble and crisis. And when everything else is falling apart and chaotic and the Israelites um, don't know what's going on, they can depend on God's steadfast love. And, and for us too, when there's pain and there's confusion in our lives, we can depend on God's steadfast love. And it's not because we deserve it. In fact, you know, it says steadfast love. You know, so often we prove ourselves not having steadfast love for God. You know, wavering and waxing and waning and giving our love and our affection to other things. And so we're completely undeserving of it. 
And yet God's steadfast love won't fail, it won't run out, it won't waver, and it won't let you down. And this is the special love he shows to his chosen people that he adopts into his family, steadfast love. And this is what the servant banks on when he's going to complete his assignment. Over the years, um, he's witnessed firsthand God's steadfast love for Abraham. And now he asks God, please show it again as I try to complete this huge task that Abraham has given me to go find a needle in a haystack. And when God comes through for him, he's just bursting with praise. And if you think about, um, there's not really like a one-to-one equivalence um, into, from Hebrew into Greek, Old Testament's in Hebrew, New Testament's in Greek, for steadfast love. Um, but one of the places you see, that, see this steadfast love and faithfulness combination show up is in John 1, when it says Jesus was full of grace and he's full of truth. And something that's true, you know, if you have a true friend, like they stick with you. Um, and we often think like, you know, there's grace, which is when you're being nice to people, and there's truth when you're you know, laying down the law. But that's not at all um, what the Bible often means about that, um, especially that line, like, you know, we have to have grace and truth with people. And it's like, well, that's saying um, steadfast love and faithfulness. Like Jesus is showing this grace that God comes through in our most dire of circumstances, totally undeserving, giving us his unmerited favor, and he's faithful, he's true, he's not going to, to waver or tell us, you know, I'm sticking with you and not, he's totally faithful to us. And Jesus is when we see the most clear picture of how much God is committed to meeting us in our greatest need, because our greatest need was to be brought back home to him, to have our sins forgiven and paid for and wiped out. And Jesus comes uh, to show God's steadfast love and faithfulness and becoming a human, taking our sins upon us. And that's just how committed God is to relieving our greatest need that we have. And so Jesus, he also calls us to be God's servants, to be God's ambassadors. And ambassadors are people who show and tell um, the truth about God to other people. And so what do we need to believe about him? And so here's how we can sum up what Abraham has learned. What do God's servants need to believe about him? It's that God is big and God is near. I put those in all caps. You can put those in all caps if you want. Big and near. God is big and God is near. If we want to be people who are serving God by showing and telling the truth about him to others, we need to know that God is big and God is near. Because you think about, we got introduced to God as the creator of heaven and earth. So it's like, okay, he's pretty big, um, transcendent, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, um, he can do anything because he can create the whole universe. Like, yeah, that's big. He's beyond our imagination. He's awe-inspiring. At the same time, God is near. And it means um, what Hagar learned, that he hears us. He sees us and looks after us. And then she came back and probably told Abraham, here's what happened with me and your son Ishmael. Like, God heard me and he saw me. He looks after me. And Abraham learns late. Here's somebody tell him later, like, God is with you in all that you do. I can see that clearly over your life. And so Abraham learns God is near. God is big enough to help us, and he's near enough to care for us. Because, you know, somebody who's you know, big and strong and powerful, but who's far away, sure, maybe they're capable, but are they near to come and help me and care for me? So God is big enough to help us. He can handle our problems, and he's near enough to care for us. And for Abraham, I have this hunch, I can't prove it, but I have a hunch that he started off with a, a really big view of God. Um, because one of the things he says right away is, God most high, most high, you know, he's up, 
he's way up there when you think about who's up there. Possessor of heaven and earth. He owns this whole thing. He created the whole thing. And I think he started with this really big view of God. Um, but it seems like <coughs> during his life, he struggled to trust him in the day-to-day issues. You know, when the issue in Egypt or the issue with Abimelech, um, the issue with uh, Hagar when Sarah gives uh, Hagar over to him and all these issues. And over time, he learned, God is near to me too. His love is steadfast. He is faithful. And Ur- Abraham learned that whatever he is going through, and whatever he will go through, I can trust God with this. Like He's not just out there telling me these big things to do, hey, leave your family and your country, and going to pop in every once in a while. No, he's also near, um, always with me. So if you don't have a, a, a bulletin, I'll grab one. I'll just pass them around. If you don't have a bulletin or a pen, let me just hand one to you. Does anybody that needs one, bulletin or a pen? Anybody needs bulletin or pen? Pen. Please. So, just so write a little list somewhere on there that gives you room on the top and on the on the left hand side, and just write a list of what's stressing you out right now, what's creating fear and anxiety in you right now, um, and what's making you frustrated. What's making you angry? What thing do you see coming that you're like, I don't want to deal with that? Or you know, that's making you have, um, you know, I don't know, what would you call it? Not chest pain, but maybe chest pain, but you are just you know, have this like an- anxious feeling. You write, write those things out that are bothering you and that are weighing on you right now. What's burdening you right now? relationship or a situation or a trip that's coming up or a, a job project or something like that. Maybe it's an issue at work you have to resolve or an issue with your extended family. For me, I think about uh, the holidays. I'm not really sure how they're going to go. It's kind of a time that's stressing me out. Like It's our first holidays with Hudson. Um, I don't know how things are going to go with my family. We have this tradition that I think is going to be really hard, and so that's kind of weighing on me right now. And so with that list, draw a box around it. And on top of the box, write, God is big enough to handle this. Top of the box, write, God is big enough to handle this. And then on the side, like going sideways up the box, write, God is near me in this. So he's big enough to handle this. He's over it. He's in control. Um, but he's also, you know, near you, near you in this, you know, across the side of all those things. He's near you in each one of those. He's over them. He's big enough to handle it. And he's near you in it. And for some of you, uh, and some of us, we need to believe that God is big enough to handle these things. You need to believe that God is powerful and that he's in control of your life. 
And maybe you even believe, well, God is near me, you know, like I kind of know God is everywhere. Like there, I know there's people you know, out in the world who have a real sense like, yeah, God is, you know, like spiritual life and I sense spiritual things happening and, you know, God's around. And maybe you even think like, yeah, God is near me. He's with me. Um, but you're like, but he can't really do much about the things happening in my life. Sure, he's here, but he's not really capable. And some of us um, have no problem believing that God is big. We need to believe that God is near enough to care for us in it. We have no problem believing God can do anything, but will he do anything for me? You know, sure, he's powerful, but will he use that power on my behalf? And so circle the one you need the most. You can circle both if you want, um, but if there's one that sticks out, and God is big enough to handle this or God is near me in this, circle the one you need the most. And I'm challenged by the servant in the story because he's sent out with this assignment for his master. And he's just so aware that he's completely dependent on God to complete this assignment. And I just realized when I was going through this passage um, with Larry and our Gospel Fluency group um, that, I mean, how many assignments do I go and complete in a day without any awareness of my need for God to help me in that or of him for me to be successful? Jesus says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, if we just you stick your name in that, like apart from me, Josue, you can do nothing. Apart from me, Shane, you can do nothing. Apart from me, Russ, you can do nothing. And it's like, do I really believe that? And when Larry and I were, were reading this passage, I shared how I just lacked this moment-by-moment -moment dependence. And I, had, I was like, well, you know, a good action step would be like, I'm going to, you know, pray before everything. You know, so I can express my dependence. And I was like, well, it's probably not going to happen. Because um, that's like a really big life change. Like I pray um, before certain things, but saying like, okay, I'm just going to pray throughout my whole day. Like that's a huge, so my baby step was, um, I have a little like schedule that kind of shows me what happens in my week. My baby step was right on the top of it, apart from you, I can do nothing. Uh, that's what Jesus says in John 15. And then on each item, at the beginning of each day, on each item, right, apart from me, or apart from you, I can do nothing, you know, I, I'm at each item. And that was like, okay, this some, feels something doable, concrete, I can do that. Um, and so maybe uh, there's a baby step you need to take of, like, creating an awareness and dependence in your life um, on God and thinking, like, this servant, like, okay, I need your steadfast love and faithfulness if I'm going to do any of the things that you want me to do today. Like, for one, I need to report into you. You're my master. Uh, God, you, you're telling me what to do. So if that'd be a good start, I'm going to report into you and ask, what do you have for me today? Um, and, you know, we all have different types of jobs, um, but God has given us all those jobs as a way to show what he's like and to tell people what he's like. And God glorifies you, whether you're a mom or you're fixing servers and computers, um, or you're working in a library. All those things um, God has given us um, as ways to express what he's like um, as we do that work. And as I was thinking about uh, you know, this concept of like, well, dependence, um, I realized uh, today there's two people in our church who I see do this really well. Um, yesterday there were some guys hanging out at Larry's, and Josue was sharing about his life, and I was just like, wow, he's like super aware of how God has been there uh, every step of the way, guiding him, uh, his hand in it all. Um, and I also see this uh, in Emma's life a lot too. Um, and she has these little cards all over her house. 
um, that say little things about, I don't, you have, I don't know what the phrases are, there's like one by the dishes, there's one uh, in the bathroom, like reminding her, like these things matter, and like God is here in those things. And so maybe that's something you need to do in your house that would help you. And as God's servants, we need to believe that God is big and God is near, and that God is showing us steadfast love every single day. And God's steadfast love for us is what produces steadfast love for him. The more we learn how God is here for everything, and the more we can grow our awareness of God's hand in our lives, the more we're going to be like, okay, I'm not going to waver my love for him. My love for him is going to be steadfast too because he's always there for me and I can count on him. And we become unwavering in our commitment to him, our love of him, and our trust in him. Um, just like we saw in Genesis 22 when Abraham, I was just like, yeah, God, you're going to provide. Like, I'm going to do this thing even though I don't really get it. And so we come back to what we talked about at the beginning. What's the fertilizer and what do God's servants need to believe about God? And like, what's the fertilizer that grows this in our life? Um, that grows us into a vibrant, flourishing plant. And it's believing the truths about God. It's the truths about God are the fertilizer um, and it's truths about God that lead, lead us to live for the purposes of God. Abraham, he left Haran, made that big step, but then he's supposed to be blessing people, but he keeps struggling with that. And it was when he was believing the truths about God that he was actually able to live out his purpose and be a blessing to other people. And so we think about, go back to the doctor, you know, diet and exercise. If you're unhealthy, you know, look at these plants and think, where am I in, in these plants? Am I here feeling kind of dead and withered? Am I here or am I somewhere in between? Um, I'm guessing you're not here um, because uh, God is going to complete our growth process um, upon Jesus' return. So all of us are somewhere back here. We might be you know, right here, right here, wherever it is. But um, the way we grow in that, you know, we look, okay, here's some areas that you can get healthier in your life. Um, and the things a doctor would tell us, um, are you putting the right things in your body and are you doing the right things with your body? And we ask, like, okay, are we putting the right things in our life? Are we putting the truths about God in our life? You know, these little things we find in the sheet that I handed out, are we putting those truths in our life? Are we putting um, these truths in our life? Uh, we need to put the right things in our life. Um, and then we need to do the, be doing the right things um, with our life because that's, you know, diet and exercise. Um, and you need both of them because uh, our diet is putting inside of us what's true about God and our exercise is living for the looking for the purposes of God and all the truths came shattering down the <laughs> metaphor um, <clears throat> but if you think about it you know what is exercising without the right food if you're not putting fuel in <clears throat> your body as you're exercising you're just going to collapse and so if we're trying to like live for the purposes of God um, without putting the truth about God in our body we're going to feel <clears throat> weary and burnt out what's the purpose of this and that's um, burnout comes when you continue doing the what without knowing the why. And when we stop having the truths of God and we just keep exercising, we're just going to get burnt out. But then if you have the right diet without exercise and you're sitting on the couch, it doesn't matter how good you eat, like you're going to start getting unhealthy no matter what you're eating if you're not doing anything to burn it off. And so they're both supposed to be working as we have the truths of God come into our life. Um, then we're supposed to be using that as the fuel that sends us to live for God's purposes. It's like his promises and his purposes, the more we believe those promises and the truth about him. And so Abraham, he has all, all these truths about God. And just look at these. Look over these truths. What do you have going on this week 
that you maybe you're worried about it, maybe you're not. What do you have going on this week um, that you know is going to be big or maybe it's going to be challenging or that you're worried about, you're scared about or stressed about? What do you have going on and which of these truths um, do you need the most in that situation? Maybe it's a homework assignment or a teacher you're dealing with or um, just something at work or a relationship. What do you have going on in your life this week and which of these truths do you need the most in that situation? And just maybe circle it or put a little X next to the ones you need. We're taking a little time to do these assessments because we're just looking back over Abraham's life um, and we learned uh, that the truth about God um, is what we need so desperately because Genesis 3, we st- after Genesis 3, we, just learned, we believe all these lies about him. And it's only when we believe the truth that we can return home um, to the safety, the security, um, the love, the acceptance that he offers. And so we need those. And Sometimes, you know, sometimes when I think about things like this, like, okay, saying statements like, I have to always think about when I say that, that God is uh, ready to meet you in any need you have. It's like, okay, well, obviously, there's prayers I've prayed, and there's prayers you've prayed, and God hasn't met the need, and so you're like, okay, great, you know, great saying that. God has steadfast love, doesn't seem super steadfast. Um, and God always meets our deepest needs. Uh, that's what he's always concerned about. And sometimes he doesn't give us our wants so he can meet our deepest needs. And at the same time, we need to recognize that uh, God shows his steadfast love to us through people who are bearing his image, through people who are his servants, uh, who he sends uh, to show that steadfast love to us. And yesterday, um, during that uh, men's time, Larry's house, he, uh, he asked us a question, what's the best... Uh, I think it was, what's the best free thing you've ever gotten? Um, and I have my, in my, one of my journals um, this list of like, things God has provided for us so we could like, remember um, as we're like, stepping out in faith and trust Him. And it was things God provided, but each of the items was, it came through a person. Um, so I shared yesterday how Nick and Emma let us live with them for 11 months so we could save up money that went to buying a house and, and being able to adopt. Or I had a friend who bought me this expensive Bible software when I was in seminary and we had two people give us cars and it's like all those gifts came through people um, and I could just be like, oh cool, you know, God's not really paying attention but at least these people are. But oh no, God was showing his steadfast love for me through these people and so that's why we put such an emphasis on living as family because we're showing um, God's steadfast love to one another and we're telling each other about it, reminding us about it and when we're here for each other, um, we do this. And then God sends us with assignments each day. We're all his servants. That's one of our community practices, loving his servants. But, you know, not just uh, isolated to that one. Like, we're all ambassadors. We're all image bearers. We're all being renewed in his image as we believe the truth about him. And so he sends us, and we should be asking, well, what do you have for me to do today? And then when we know what he has for us to do, um, we should say oh, well, apart from you, I'm not ever going to be able to do that. And so we show our dependence on him. And so it's been helpful for me to look back over these truths about God that Abraham has learned. And it's just crazy how much, like if you only had Genesis 12 through 25, like look how much you could know about God. And then we have 
I don't know how many thousands of pages more of Scripture um, that are telling us more truths about God. And then we have Jesus as the perfect picture who came. And then we have the Holy Spirit who comes into us, um, who is also reassuring us this is all true. Um, you have been adopted. God does love you. His love is steadfast. He's faithful to you. And so that's why we keep coming back to the good news about him, so we can combat these lies, so our lives don't look all wrinkly um, and withered like this, but so we can grow to be like Jesus, um, who is the perfect servant, who perfectly showed God's steadfast love, and who always knew you know, God's taking care of this, and I can trust him in that. So that's why we're always hitting it. Good news, the truth about God. Um, this is what he's all about. Let's pray. Father, thanks for our time together in this passage, and thanks for your spirit who helps us to believe these truths. Would you plant them deep in us and grow them uh, to be fruit in our lives um, that would show uh, to people around us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.